Welcome to the Canteen Podcast, a show for anyone who has feelings about food. Join host Ali Houston as guests open up about their relationship with food and their thoughts on nutrition. Nourish yourself with the Canteen Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Canteen Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Houston. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and enjoy the show. And we are recording. And I'm lucky enough to have with me today... Mike Gorman, who goes by the name Gormy online, um, who has lost, wait for it, 320 pounds plus on a low-carb diet. Uh, that's nearly 23 stone or 145 kilograms. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. And um, now, just to reiterate, the numbers that I said there, that's not your new weight or your old weight. That's what you actually lost. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I was at my heaviest. I was 540 pounds, um, which I can do all the math there for you. Um, but um, yeah, that my that was my heaviest, and I'm now currently um, around 216 pounds. That's incredible. So. And um, what? What did you say your heaviest weight was? Five hundred and forty. Yes, five forty. Man, and what what does it feel like to be that big? Oh, it's 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 very like if someone out there is is listening, um, who's got like fifty pounds to lose, or you know four stone, or whatever your unit of measurement is, um, it's it's an entirely different world. Like your your weight defines and dictates everything that you do. Um, where I could go, where I could fit, how far I could walk. Um, at my heaviest weight, uh, my mobility was terrible. I, I was approaching um, what I would consider, you know, severe disability um, due to my size. I could stand for probably five minutes um, at the most without um, almost crippling back pain taking over. Um, my stamina was terrible. So just walking from inside my apartment to outside to my car, um, I would have to rest as soon as I was behind the driver's wheel. Um, I used to kind of plan my life based on how far the walking would be. Um, if I was going somewhere new, I would scope it out. If I had friends invite me to go somewhere new, I would find out in advance if there would be seats that I could sit in even. I mean, a lot of times, especially over here, um, booths and chairs are have molded arms and there, there's just no flexibility. So when you're that large, you're worried about fitting on them and then also them supporting you. Um, I broke, broke a lot of furniture, um, you know, many times. I've broken toilets, beds, uh, car seats. Um, I had um, the, the wall, a, a toilet break off the wall um, at an amusement park once um, that I was using, um, one of those suspended kind of floating toilets. Um, and I was okay with it because I lived my life to eat. I was, I was so obsessed with food and so addicted to food 
that as long as I could keep eating, um, I took the rest that came. Um, I didn't, I, I turned a blind eye to the health problems I was developing, the severe health problems I was developing, and um, just basically went on living my life under the assumption that I wouldn't live long. Um, you know, I had been that big my whole life, so it just seemed like that was where, no matter what I tried, that was where I was gonna end up. Wow. So you kind of reached this um, adulthood where you were, it sounds like you were feeling kind of almost nihilistic about it and mm. that you were in the grip of food addiction and you knew it, mm-hmm. you had self-awareness of that, and some insight, but you had justified the the reality and almost come to terms with with it and so all these negative consequences were you just thought they were they were along for the ride and that you were counting down the days more or less pretty much um i i nihilistic is a great way to put it like i um had almost come to peace with the fact that my life would be shortened uh, because of my size and my eating. Um, And no matter kind of as much as there's, everyone talks about, you know, that, that screaming voice inside saying, you know, save yourself. um, I got pretty good at silencing that voice. Like I spent a long time, I, it had been my life and my existence for so long that, um, you start your normal starts to adjust. So you would you accept the fact that my legs would swell like balloons throughout the day if I didn't elevate them, and I would get open wounds on them that would leak clear fluid um, due to the you know the the poor drainage um, in my lymphatic system. Um, I was starting to show signs of severely out of control diabetes, um, and I, as long as I was still eating. I, I accepted it. Um, I was, I, I saw that as the trade-off. I was deciding, and and I'm a I'm a stubborn person. Um, I, I was saying this to someone yesterday. Like, I very much in my head said, "You're choosing this. Like, you're not out of. It's not the food controlling me. As much as there may have been all of this else, you know, all these other factors influencing me, I didn't want to believe that. I wanted to say." This is the choice I'm making. So yes, I, I'm walking headfirst um, into the maelstrom that was my future because um, I wanted to eat. Mm-hmm. I can I can associate with that mostly um, having been addicted to cigarettes. So I kind of I, I, you know the health consequences and. Yep. Um, uh, so I can, I can identify with that feeling of uh, just accepting that, you know, how bad it is for you. And um, yet, on the other hand, knowing that the thought of not doing that thing is almost um, more disturbing than the very disturbing health effects. For sure. And For it sure. sounds like the health effects that you were getting were were getting worse and that they were getting maybe even more disturbing all the time. Like, um, 
it sounds miserable to not know whether you're going to break a chair or a toilet or be able to fit in a chair when you're going to visit friends. And, um, but then having kind of open sores and limbs that aren't draining properly, that sounds kind of hair raising. Mm-hmm. What was it like watching the progression from within? Um, terrifying, but I also learned a lot of, I learned to get very good at compartmentalizing it and ignoring, um, knowing that things were happening and ignoring them. I got very good at that. Um, kind of blocking things out of my head. Um, but I also, it, it started to feel like I was kind of racing downhill on a sled with no control of that sled anymore because I was, I was going to start crashing into these consequences that were going to get worse and worse. Um, and it's, it, I learned, you know, jump it, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but, um, even at one point, like I, I avoided doctors for a very, very long time. When, when you're that large of a person, you know what you're going to hear from them. So I almost developed a phobia um, of doctors and only saw medical, saw medical treatment when um, I, I think once during most of that time. And that was due to, I had like a really, really bad cold and needed medicine that I couldn't get over the counter. Um, otherwise, I was triaging myself and I, it just became a part of my life. And I just started accepting it. And um, I, I, luckily I'm still here. Um, I'm obviously still alive. Um, but I did discover, I, I had a, a more recent hospitalization due to pneumonia. And during that time, the doctors, cause this was the first time I was getting a medical workup in decades, like literally in decades. Um, and one of the doctors at one point said, um, we need to let you know, you may not know this, but at some point in your past, you had a heart attack. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. How can they so say it, that? Um, it's it's based on on the chemical signals given off by the heart, by the chemical electrical signals. Um, there was no physical damage, but they're like based on the the um, the pattern of your heartbeat and these these enzyme markers. Um, sometime in the past ten to fifteen years, you had a heart attack. Um, and we tried a little bit to think about when it might have been. It was funny, um, gallows humor, funny when the doctor said. Um, did you ever have a night where like you went to bed and felt uncomfortable? <laughs> I said, um, that was every night of my life. That was every night of my life. Um, so it, I, I, I pray thanks every day that um, I'm still alive, knowing that things like that actually, di- it's not just that I thought it could happen, but it actually did happen. Um, and luckily, by the point that I found that out, I had kind of already started turning things around. Um, my journey has a lot of ups and downs to it. Like, um, I, I didn't stay, obviously, at 540 pounds forever. I lost a ton of weight, regained a ton of weight very quickly. Um, we also think that that might have been a time when, when the heart attack happened. They're not 100% sure. Interesting. So maybe you could say what the turning point was and what um what happened with the the ups and downs sure um well it's funny the the very first turning point when i was over 500 pounds was not that i decided that i needed to lose weight or i was going to die um i it was around the time it was around 2000 
2008, 2009, I had moved from the East Coast of the United States to the West Coast. And that was when the economy crashed um, over here. And um, work got harder to find. Work that I was expecting to get didn't materialize. What is it um, you do? I'm sorry? What is it that you do? Oh, I was at that point, I was working in higher education. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I was a dorm director and I worked in student activities and the student unions and worked with college students. Um, and, and finding work was getting really hard. Um, as you can expect, someone that's that large, most people don't want to hire. Um, once they meet you in person, they like your resume and then they meet you and the, the interview goes south no matter what. Um, and so I, I didn't have work and I didn't have money. When you don't have money, you don't have food as, as much. Um, and so I started to naturally lose some weight and I decided to find work I was gonna need to lose more weight. Um, and it, it seemed like an inevitability to me at that point. Like, okay, you have to lose weight. Um, if you wanna find work, you have to do this. So I, I started, I actually, that was around the time that I discovered um, paleo and primal eating. Um, I, I had come across some resources in that area. Um, it was right around the time that the Whole30 was starting up as, as something that people were starting to notice. And I got really into the idea of ingredient sourcing and quality of food and all of those things. And um, from around 2010 to 2000, May of 2013, I got down to 210 pounds. Um, so I went from 540 to 210 pounds. Um, I had set a goal to hit 210 pounds by my 40th birthday. Uh, I hit that goal. Um, I was very excited to do that. Um, but towards the end of, of that diet period, I was starting to do some not so great um, behaviors. Um, I was fasting before fasting was a thing people was talking about. So I wasn't doing anything properly. Um, I was just starving myself. So I was severely reducing, restricting my calories on days that I was eating. And then I was alternate day fasting um, and not looking at electrolytes or any of those things. I was just not eating. I was drinking water um, because I wanted to see, I was chasing scale numbers. Like that's really what it was about for me. I wasn't doing any work on the mental side of things. I wasn't admitting that I had an addiction. I wasn't admitting that to myself or to anyone else. Um, and so in May of 2013, I weighed in at 210 pounds and um, I went on a vacation. And when I came back from that, I did great on that vacation in terms of sticking to my plan. And I felt so proud of myself. And I came back from that vacation and I felt a little off and left work sick the day I got back and went to pick up some food because I had nothing in my house having been away for 10 days and went to the, the supermarket and was planning to buy um, chicken and broccoli was pretty much my plan, chicken and broccoli. And as I was walking around the store, I, I started to get, for some reason, the idea came into my head, you know, you're not feeling great. Um, you, you, you work so hard over the past two weeks, you know, on your vacation, you, you've earned a cheat meal. So I then started walking around the store and finding the couple of items I would buy for a cheat meal. I bought a pint of ice cream and a um, caramel coated bacon brownie. It was back before bacon was in everything. And so seeing bacon in a brownie, I literally had the thought, I'm never going to see this again. Um, who knew now, you know, you can find bacon, bacon in a vending machine anywhere now around here. Um, by the time I left the supermarket, I decided I was going to take a whole cheat day. Um, Driving home, I went to a fast food place. I went to McDonald's and I got some food there. And by the time I got home, so this is over the span of about a half hour, 
um, I decided I was taking the weekend off of my diet um, and just going to eat what I wanted. I got up the next morning and immediately started right in on food. And probably by lunchtime that day, I had decided it was time to take a week off, a full week. Um, by the end of that weekend, I had decided that I was going to completely abandon my diet. Um, wow. I, I basically went into this headspace of, you finally feel happy again. Eating like this makes you happy. Um, why weren't you doing this? This is who you're meant to be. Um, and I and I tried to put some parameters on myself. I was like, I can control this. You know, you we as, if you know that you've dealt with an addiction of any kind, you know at times you bargain with yourself. You tell yourself you can control things. And I said, what I'll do is I'll just I'll I'll keep it under control during the week, and I'll just go crazy on the weekends. Like that's how I'll control this. And that lasted for about five days, maybe even four days. Um, and then I was just off the rails, out of control. Um, and I started putting weight on really, really fast. Now, to give you some context, um, that weekend, the first three days of that binge, I put on 30 pounds. Um, what? Yeah. Um, obviously, most of that is going to be water weight because I was severely calorie restricted and severely carbohydrate restricted. And I was binging on high carb, high fat foods, high sodium foods that I was avoiding before. Um, I bloated immediately, put on 30 pounds. Within the first 30 days, I put on 100 pounds. Um, and by October 1st of 2013, I was 480 pounds again. Um, yeah. Um, it's, I, I honestly, I'm not sure how I'm alive. I don't know how I survived it. Um, it's, when I describe it to people, um, I, I, in the weight loss sphere and the fitness sphere, people talk about, you know, you can't lose weight overnight because you don't gain it overnight. I was literally gaining weight overnight. I could feel my body getting bigger every day. Um, I had some wild edema issues happen, water retention under the skin, because it was like my body was flushing all of these fat cells that I had starved for years, filling them as quickly as possible, first with water and then with, with weight again. Um, and after it was literally by the end of that first month when I got on the scale and saw I had gained a hundred pounds. And so I had gone from being in the low two hundreds to over well over 300 pounds again. And I just, in my head, it was like, you threw it all away. You threw it all away. Why even try anymore? And I completely gave up. Um, and I was, I was literally eating every moment I was awake. Um, at that point, like I could detail for you. I remember vividly what every day was like. Um, the stops I would make for fast food, places I would go to get coffee and pastries, um, the, the meals I was cooking at home. I'm a very good cook, you know, tragically, I'm a very good cook. So I would cook family sized meals for myself and then order a pizza after or order Chinese food or something along those lines. Um, I, decided that everything I had missed for the previous three years, I was going to get. Um, so I was fulfilling every whim, every craving. Um, and in the meantime, I was hiding myself from the world. Um, I was going to work. Um, I had actually just been hired at the place I was working at less than a year before. So they knew me as someone who was in the low 200s. Um, and my boss watched me over that summer, basically more than double in size. Um, we, I've never still, I don't work for that person anymore. I never really had a conversation with them about that. Um, but I, I'm sure it had to be horrifying for people to see that happening to someone. Um, 
I hid it from family and friends, like family I would see more regularly, but I hid from friends for most of that summer until I reached a point where I knew I couldn't hide anymore. I had to go out and see people. Um, so I actually reached out to some friends to tell them, you know, I just want you to know, um, I, I went off my diet, I'm done with it, I'm happy, I don't wanna talk about it. Um, Cause I knew it was gonna be shocking to see me, you know, that much heavier that fast because during the summer when everyone's really busy and vacationing a month can go by and you don't see people in a month I put on 100 pounds another month later I put on close to another 100 pounds um, this was to some people an overnight transformation um, these were people who had previously when I got down to 210 pounds told me that they had been worried I was going to die and that they were happy I saved my life and so here I am in my head thinking I'm letting all of these people down. They're all gonna be worried again that I'm gonna die. Um, I have to just tell them. So I started putting on this really great face of, I'm very happy, I'm happy as I am. I'm happy with this life. Please don't feel bad for me. Please don't um, you know, feel like I'm doing something wrong, any of those things. Like you, you lie, cheat, and steal to protect your addiction. And I did you know, all of those things proverbially, proverbially with the people I had relationships with. Um, I was saying it as much to convince them as I was to convince myself. Um, now, when I lost all the weight, the, the medical symptoms I had had disappeared. Um, and as I was regaining, initially they didn't come back. So I was like, well, maybe those things weren't what I thought it was before. And I never saw a doctor, so I don't know if I am officially X, Y, and Z. Um, but that also can only last for so long. Um, Eventually, those problems started rearing their heads again, rearing their head again, um, the symptoms of diabetes. Um, so I started intermittently like trying to triage myself. I'd eat low carb for a couple of days and then binge and eat low carb for a couple of days and binge. And my weight stayed in that, that high 400s range. And I honestly believe it only stayed in that range because um, my blood sugar was so out of control that when you're, when you're that out of control diabetic your body starts losing weight like your body starts rejecting the weight like um, it's hard to gain weight when you're in that kind of chemical system like you're in that hormonal response um and the funny thing is so now my doctor that i work very closely with you know is says i you know you show no signs of being diabetic right now but from what you've described and from the residual symptoms like i still have numbness and neuropathy in my feet uh, things along those lines um he's like you probably were um diabetic before you just never get diagnosed um so i lived in the high 400s for a couple of years um i had again gone back to that place of resigning myself to dying um i thought that escape was impossible um and i even reached a point where um and i've told this story to some people before but um i wrote a letter to keep by my bed because I was convinced that I wasn't going to wake up some morning. And I didn't want my family to just find me days later um, and not have any last words for me. So I wrote a letter to them that basically said, please don't mourn, like, don't be sad. You know, it's ridiculous. I look at it now. I eventually burned that letter outside, like took it outside and burned it. Um, but I wrote a letter basically saying, I don't want you to be sad for me. I lived a happy life. I did what I wanted to do. Um, it is probably what I consider to be one of the most pathetic acts of my life um, because it was a physical resignation to my fate. It was me saying, okay, you know, 
you know you might not wake up tomorrow. Instead of fighting to wake up, I just gave up. Um, and I lived like that for a while. Um, I lived with that letter by my bed for months. Um, it was, that was my life. That was what I had accepted. Um, then my family went through some changes and my parents had to take on some new responsibilities involving some children coming into the family. And my dad one night um, pulled me aside and just said, you know, you're the oldest. At some point, your mother and I are going to be too old to take care of these children and we're going to need your help. Um, and he wasn't doing it to, to shame me or tell me that I needed to lose weight. He never would have done anything like that. Um, it was just him trying to deal with what he was going through. Um, you know, a big change for someone his age to go through taking on children. And I went home that night and I sat and it, for the, and this is going to sound dumb to some people, I think, uh, for the very first time I realized that my life meant more than just making myself happy. Um, and I think sometimes people misconstrue this part of my story as me saying I lost weight for other people. Um, that's not at all what I'm saying. Like I, if I was motivated by other people, I, I, I think we're interconnected beings in communities and families. And I think that motivation can come from a lot of different places, but it was more about me seeing that there's a bigger picture and a more, there's, my life is meant for more. There's a reason I was still alive, um, I guess is the best way to put it. And I decided I needed to figure out what that reason was. And so I needed to sit down and look at what I did wrong in my previous attempts, what I felt was missing. Um, what I, I really felt was missing was paying any attention at all to my head, um, to the mental side of things, to the spiritual side of things. Like I didn't see myself as a whole being when I went on these journeys. I always just tried to lose weight. It was a physical activity. It was not a whole activity. So I, I had to do some work on figuring out who I wanted to be and who I wanted to be as someone that was going to live at the, at the end of the day. Um, that is my, people talk a lot now about finding your why. Um, for me, finding my why was realizing that I wanted to live and I was going to have to fight to do that because that addiction and that voice inside of me is really strong. Uh, the one that wants me to eat. Um, so I knew I was committing to fighting for the rest of my life, but I also knew that by fighting, I was going to guarantee that it would be more life. Um, so that, that is where things I think really turned for me. That was 2017, very early 2017. Um, and in February of 2017 is when January, February is when I, I had always gravitated towards like low carb diets. Um, I always felt like there was something that resonated well for me. That satiation brought on by eating a higher fat percentage um, was great uh, in terms of like that side of things for me. I, I again also had my, my ear to the ground when it came to the health world and what everyone was talking about. I was still very much into, you know, sourcing great meats and organic vegetables, all of those things. Um, and decided that the ketogenic diet was the way for me to go. Um, so I, I set out um, in February of 2017. My first official weigh-in um, for that leg of my journey, I was 470 pounds in February of 2017. And um, I have, in one form or another, my journey's evolved over time, um, which I think is a good thing. Um, been following a ketogenic style of eating. And um, I'm now, like I said, 216 pounds as of this week. Incredible. And so that's, that's been, has it been more plain sailing this time around since uh, 
early 2017? Um, not really, to be honest with you, uh, because as, as much as the last big version of this journey for me was a lot of white knuckling um, and a lot of having to kind of just head down, fight through things, um, I don't avoid confronting myself now. I don't avoid the feelings that I'm having. So I, I've spent more time working on am I physically hungry or am I emotionally hungry? Like what's actually going on? Like, why is this happening? So sometimes it doesn't mean that I dwell in those challenging moments, but I don't let them just fly by and accept, accept them at face value. Um, I, I like to give thought to what happens because I want to be ready when it happens again. So when those feelings do come back, I can say, okay, I know what that is. I, I can identify that more. So on some levels I'm building better tools to help me, um, but we're also, the, the, the great and scary part is, I'm coming now towards that end of the weight loss portion of this journey again. Um, I have a goal in mind that I'm getting relatively close to, and um, I know this is when I screwed, I screwed it up a lot last time. Um, so I'm terrified, <laughs> um, to be just honest, um, I work, I do work with a coach now, um, and he, and the, one of the reasons I made the decision to start working with a coach uh, almost a year ago uh, was because I knew this part of the journey would be coming and I didn't want to go through it alone. Um, I wanted to have someone who could help me strategize and plan so I don't just try to blindly step off of a diet. Um, I need to see what I'm doing as a sustainable way of life and build it as something sustainable. And that might mean making changes to what I'm actually doing right now, because I'm in a strict pro protocol right now. Um, but I feel like I'm putting the safeguards in place to help me put that plan into action. So I do feel better about that. As much as I'm afraid, uh, I feel prepared. That's good. I guess that's all you can do. I mean, you don't know how you're gonna react when you hit that goal. It seems mm -hmm. like you've come a long way since the last time you hit the goal and that you've you know, you've uh, learned a lot about yourself. I mean, I know for, I, I'm an emotional eater. And uh, for me, the, the sort of flow chart, if you like, would be um, my normal state would be eating a kind of paleo style keto diet. And uh, that's all good. And, you know, you can't help it. Sometimes life gets in the way. You, you get a, a set of really stressful circumstances come up. And that undoubtedly um, has a, a chemical effect on your body that makes you, it makes some people, myself included, crave foods that are bad for you. So um, it messes with your blood sugar, really. Mm. And the kind of, um, the difference in me now compared to in the past is that I've got foods that I can turn to which although maybe you couldn't eat all the time and kind of live optimally on they are far less damaging than what I used to binge on and so I still find myself occasionally binging on, on foods like that um, but it will be cake made from almond flour or a dessert made from sweetener and eggs and butter. So I'm basically binging on omelets mm -hmm. with sweetener in them instead oh, yeah. of um, 
whatever Nestle has to offer. Mm-hmm. And it feels, it still feels like, you know, it can bloat me or overfill me or, um, you know, make me feel a little bit uh, kind of, I don't know, ashamed of eating so much of something. But it's not, it's on a different level. Right. And I don't know if you've found that as well, that you've been able to replace some of these really bad foods with something else that more or less fits in with what you're doing now. Well, I, I think that's something that I used to do a lot, um, especially when I first started. And then as I, I progressed through my journey for the first year and a half um, of my weight loss journey this time, um, I was following, you know, what they would consider to be like a lazy keto protocol. You know, I was just counting net carbs and I wasn't counting anything else. I was just eating to satiation. Um, so I included a lot of like keto treats, you know, like you're saying pastries made with almond flour or um, low carb ice creams and um, low carb chocolate and things along those lines. Um, my real addiction in the keto sphere is actually nut butter. Um, I have a big problem with nut butters. Um, there's a certain brand of nut butter that flavors them with sweeteners and flavorings to make them taste like desserts. Um, and I had a weekend where I ate four jars of, of one of them um, at once. So four jars of almond butter basically in one weekend. Um, that, that does wonders for your digestive tract for the next week. <laughs> um, but what happened was eventually for me, the attempting to intuitive eat and eat those foods was starting to get out of control again. And I found that my weight was stalling and I was actually starting to put weight on. Um, so I knew I needed to do something to dial it in. Um, and that's when I started working with a coach and um, switched over from counting net carbs to total carbs. Um, and so in a lot of ways, uh, aside from small portions here and there, um, I've eliminated most of those foods because, and, and the, here's the funny thing is so like, the way you talked about it and the way I see other people talking about it on social media and on YouTube and things along those lines where they talk about, you know, making keto desserts and things along those lines and living thriving, healthy journeys. Um, I respect that. And I think that's amazing to me. Like I, I'm jealous uh, of that because I know for me that when I have that keto cookie, then I want the real thing and I'm going to want the real thing for four or five days. Um, so for me, that trade off of cravings, doesn't tend to be worth it. I have to make sure that I know that I want it to be worth it. And I've actually started experimenting a little bit. Um, I had a, a keto, an ice cream company create a, a new keto line and they, they offered it to me to try. Um, and they sent it to me and um, I started testing it and I was eating it every day. One, one portion every day, a little bit less than a full portion some days because of the total carbs in the ice cream. And by the third day, I was ready to go off the rails and go wild. Um, I realized that it was just triggering something in me, that sensation of eating, even though that food wasn't having the same chemical response in my body that regular ice cream would, the mental response was exactly the same. And so I realized that I wasn't, I hadn't really won that battle yet. Like that wasn't something that I could safely do yet. Um, on the flip side of that, um, I took, uh, seven or eight months off nut butters completely eliminated them from my diet completely. And then about a month or two ago, I reintroduced them and I weigh and measure the portions to the gram. Um, no more just sticking a spoon in a jar and going to town, which is what I used to do. Um, and I've actually found that I'm not triggered by them anymore. Like I'm able to um, enjoy them as a treat or I really have gotten into drizzling almond butter, every, like a tablespoon of almond butter on top of a, a low carb yogurt is really delicious. 
Um, and I don't then want to go back to that jar and just start shoveling it into my mouth anymore. So I, I think it's possible to learn a better relationship with foods. Um, some of them I'm just not there yet with, and I have to, I have to learn to trust myself more. And I think that's, you know, a skill that I'm working on. Um, I, I can't live under the specter of what happened in 2013 forever. Um, I can't, I can't let every moment that I might step off of a strict diet be a disaster because that's what I've always allowed myself to do before. Well, you messed up, you know, you screwed up. Let's go to town and destroy everything in front of us. Um, I need to realize, and what I'm working on realizing is that choosing to go off of what my quote unquote plan is, is just a choice. And I can choose to get back on. And there's power in that. There's real power. And like, that's why I don't ever use the phrase cheat meal or cheat day or anything along those lines anymore. Um, one, I don't really have them at this point because I do have my weight goal that I'm trying to get to. Um, but when I do start to incorporate eating foods that don't hit the strict plan that I've been following for almost a year now, um, it'll be because I'm choosing to eat those foods, not because I'm cheating myself or I'm trying to have a treat or anything along those lines. It's because I'm choosing to eat that food because then that also means I'm choosing the consequences of how that food will make me feel. Like you were saying, bloated, a little kind of out of sorts, maybe some cravings. Uh, but I think by going into it more mindfully, um, it allows me to say, you know, not just that I chose to eat the food and enjoy it, when I feel the cravings or the bloating, I say, okay, you know, you knew this was gonna happen. So decide if you wanna do this again next time or if it's okay, you know, and it could be okay. Like I, I think like one of the things my coach and I have been talking about is, so once I am done working with him and I get out of like a cutting phase and I'm, I'm getting into like a maintenance level, so what happens if I go, cause one of the things I've always wanted to do is go to Europe. Um, I would love to go to Ireland. Um, ancestors are from there. I would love to go. Um, I'm a big Disney freak, so I really want to go to Disneyland Paris. Um, so I said to my coach, so what happens if I'm in Paris and I'm standing in front of a bakery and I see the most amazing looking croissant I've ever seen in my life? You know, do I say, no, I'm on a diet and I'm not going to eat that, or do I eat the croissant? And we've just talked about, you know, I can make a choice to do that. I can make a choice when I'm in that situation because I know I'm probably never gonna be there again in my life. Now, if I'm here at home and I go to the store to get gas, you know, put gas in my car and there's a bag of Doritos and a Reese's peanut butter cup at the checkout, those are always gonna be there. I've had enough of those in my lifetime. So wanting those is really about wanting that old nostalgic eating, those old feelings. Like it's not about a new unique experience. It's not about something that would then at the end of the day be worth it to me um, because I know that that Reese's cup is gonna cause me to feel the same as probably that croissant in, in France would, but which experience has more value and will allow me to kind of have better perspective. So I'm trying to develop a mindful approach to what I eat because I do wanna be able to have like a, a um, an almond flour cake on my birthday or things along those lines. Like I don't, I don't want to live a life that is all about, you know, minimizing and controlling and tracking every day for the rest of my life. I'd like to get to a place where I build a healthier relationship with food. Yeah, that makes sense. And someone whose opinion I really respect is Adele Height, who, uh, Dr. Adele Height, I should say. Uh, I don't know if you follow her on Twitter. She, um, she's a PhD in, uh, 
some something to do with nutrition science and um she uh, she's always saying you know that kind of getting on your soapbox about what diets people should eat can never really account for the fact that people want what they want and you've got to live that life you know i find that i, I maybe even get a slight perverse enjoyment out of being uh you know very different in what i eat compared to most people but i know a lot of people get quite awkward feel quite awkward in social situations and um it can really put them off uh doing it and so okay we'll have some cake or um you know they don't want to refuse food being in front of them which is completely understandable or they're in paris and you know they're looking at a a, a sort of picture postcard um patisserie and they want to try a croissant i mean probably because it's slathered in butter it's about as uh, safe a carb as well maybe that's not true maybe you shouldn't be having carbs and butter at the same time but um it's interesting thinking about the situation that you eat um mm-hmm. making the the choice quite different for you and i think even just being aware of it and mindful like you say means that you're owning it a bit more mm-hmm. you know it's not it's not a runaway train right which i think is is um, part of the power and i think uh what i what i always think is that if you if you go from a situation where 9 out of 10 of your uh food choices are awful to where maybe 1 out of 10 or 2 out of 10 are awful then that's a huge win oh yeah and um being perfectionist about it can lead us into the situation where we we sort of get a bit um, uh, self-flagellating. And if the, the minute we slip up once, suddenly we're total failures, which uh, shouldn't really be how we think about it. I mean, beyond all the stuff you were talking about before, were there any other negatives that were associated with being as big as you were? Um, I, I think... Re- there's, there's, there, I mean, obviously, professionally, um, it affected me. My career choices and uh, career direction um, was negatively impacted because I, I was limited by what I could physically accomplish. Um, and then also the, the judgment of other people. Um, I think it had a real effect on um, my development when it comes to relationships and um, that side of things. Like I, I feel in a lot of ways I'm emotionally stunted um, because um, I, I ate myself out of the market in a lot of ways. Um, I took myself, you know, I allowed food to be the place that I hid. And um, I think that I allowed that experience of food to try to replace a lot of things in my life that, um, you know, at the end of the day, shouldn't have, um, things that now I have to start thinking about and like, in terms of how I interact with people. And I had some really, don't get me wrong in terms of like friendships and family relationships, things are really kind of great, but, um, dating when you're 500 pounds is obviously a very, 
you know, challenging situation. And then, I mean, to be 100% honest, um, something that I dealt with um, and still deal with is the kind of the, the consequences of how, um, and I don't think people really think about this as like, because when you have, you know, 40 pounds to lose, 50 pounds to lose, your body can bloat and you can have like a big beer belly or big hips and legs. And um, when you're more than 300 pounds overweight, you're disfigured by your obesity. Like I still have physical effects of, of my obesity that I deal with now um, in terms of impairing different parts of my body. And I don't want to go into TMI level, but um, one, when you're at that, when I was that big, um, it made hygiene a challenge. Um, it made um, using, the, using the restroom, using the bathroom a challenge. Um, one of the things I've discovered recently is that I can, this is specifically to the men out there, um, I, I can use a stand-up urinal again in a bathroom. Um, that's something I couldn't do for most of my life. It just was not physically possible, like not physically possible. Um, if I was at an outdoors event, you know, you're in the woods, um, camping or something along those lines. Um, I avoided that because I can't, I couldn't just use the bathroom in the woods without creating a disaster. I needed, I needed a toilet. Um, and again, I don't want to go into too many dirty details there, but I mean, you deal with, like I said, hygiene, like cleaning myself. Um, I, I started using implements to help with cleaning when I was at my heaviest. Um, a lot of, I had some silicone spoons that I would wrap in towels and um, sponges on sticks. And those are all jokes that people like to make about someone when they're larger, but it's a reality. Um, you find implement, like I had to have a seat in my shower so that I could rest because I couldn't stand long enough to shower um, to actually try to clean my body. Um, clipping my toenails was a chore because how do you get to your foot if there's so much in the way. At my heaviest, my waist was 84 inches, um, which I probably should have done some conversion for you to, you know, know centimeters on that. But um, I was, um, I mean, that is near, that's seven feet around um, for someone to put in context. So I was a foot and a half more around than I was tall. Um, it affects your ability, like I, and even the second time around, when I was 470, 480 pounds, uh, one of the things that was starting to happen to me was I wasn't just outgrowing clothes, which I think everyone who gains weight deals with that. Um, I was outgrowing my vehicle, my truck. Um, it was getting dangerous for me to be driving it because I was wedged in so tight that turning the steering wheel was getting to be near impossible. So I ended up getting a different vehicle. So I didn't just throw away a pair of pants that I outgrew. Um, I got rid of a vehicle. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's this completely different level of context, um, which I'm not saying one's worse than the other, but just different, um, in terms of the physical experiences I went through, like it's, it, it was really, it was again, you know, starting to affect like you're, I like to say that the bigger I got, the smaller my world got, because again, you start to just the, it becomes exhausting just even the, and this is something I, I don't think people think about. When you're that big and you want to go out and someone invites you somewhere new, you have to think about exactly where will you park, how much walking is involved, is there anywhere for you to sit when you get there. Um, I also would keep in mind, when am I going to be able to eat? Like food was a big part of my life. Like I want to know what was going on with food, but 
all of that, it takes up mental energy. It takes up space in your head. And you spend a lot of your mental energy planning and coping. So there were reach, you'd reach times where it's just easier to stay home. It just become, and that, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And um, I, I could see from all of my experiences why people become shut-ins, like why someone who's very large ends up becoming a shut-in because it just becomes exhausting trying to deal with what you're going to deal with in the world. And don't, I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying. I don't put that blame on the world. Um, I don't think the world creates extra challenges. I mean, I think as someone that large, I created those extra challenges for myself, but it still made interacting with the world a challenge. Um, and one that it was easier sometimes to pull away from. So I, I think when I say that it affected every facet of my life, I mean that it affected every facet of my life. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, um, what if your, if your family and friends uh, world was, was, was good for you? What do you think drove you to um, become addicted to food in the first place? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I think it's a combination of things. Um, I think familial issues. Um, I think it was food became comfort. There's a lot of turmoil in my family when I was very young, um, between my parents specifically. Not that I blame them, but I think that's a natural reaction we have as human beings. You seek comfort somewhere when there's chaos. Um, I saw it in food. Um, we were lower income. And so most of the food we were eating was very high carb, very processed. Um, cheap garbage food, not real food, not real nutrition. So my body from an early, early age uh, was trained to crave that food, that hyper palatable food. And I didn't put the brakes on. No one put the brakes on. I think a lot of the stuff going on in my family caused their eyes to not be on me all the time. So I started to develop sneak eating and um, I hid a lot of what I was doing. And so I think there was probably a lot of, they don't understand what's happening because they're seeing what I eat in front of them and I'm still gaining weight. Um, I, why and what drove that? I don't know if I'll ever know. Um, I, I think there's something wrong in my head, um, whether it's just a psychological issue or an actual psychochemical issue. Um, I, I think something drove that obsession in a way that is different. Um, than it would than it's for someone that gains weight because they just don't understand how food works. Um, I rejoiced in having more food. I, I took pleasure in the food. It was something I enjoyed more than human contact. Like my brain is wired to see food as the ultimate expression of joy. Like that's the way things are wired there. And whether that's through a learned practice or something else, I honestly don't know. Um, but I do think my perspective on even what I went through, I think um, like there, there are still points that I get nostalgic for the old quote unquote old days. Like I, I enjoyed taking up that much space at times. Like it was not always, it w I think sometimes people, especially if they, they had a smaller amount of weight to lose or never lived that life for that long, they, all they can think is that when you're that, when you're 500 pounds, Every moment must just be about hating yourself and hating the world and everything. Um, I relished in it at times. There was there's something powerful about being that big. I think like, and my brain saw it as that was my expression of who I was. That was how I expressed who I was as a person. That was how I defined my identity. 
I defined myself as the big guy, as the fat guy. Um, I didn't, I was never ashamed. Like when I was a small child, I probably was ashamed of my size and my weight because people told you to be ashamed. But I eventually wasn't. Like I, I kind of, I think I pushed back. I rebelled against all of that. So by the time I was a teenager, I wasn't like the typical fat kid wearing um, t-shirts in a pool or anything along those lines or avoiding the beach. Um, I was at a pool with my shirt off at 540 pounds. I didn't care. Um, if someone didn't like what they saw, that wasn't my problem. It was theirs, uh, which, you know, was a positive attitude to have, but it also enabled everything I was doing to continue because I didn't care. You know, I didn't, I didn't let society telling me that I was outgrowing the world, you know, send signals. Instead, I was like, well, like, screw the world. Um, it, it eventually, you know, I think, I think I could make a very interesting psychological study for a professional that would love to try to sit down and unpack it all. Um, but I haven't done that yet. So I don't know if I'll ever have an answer. And I think one of the bigger things is I stopped asking why, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time living with especially on this, this leg of my journey. Like I, I've had moments where I really get wrapped up in regret and I get wrapped up in feeling like I've had real moments where I feel like because of the choices I made and because of what I ate and the size I was that I've ruined my life. Um, like I've, I've had real moments of that, like where it's felt a hundred percent honest. Um, and what I've realized is by wallowing in that, I'm ignoring the fact that I'm still living and that there's more to come. So I have to focus on that there's more days ahead because if not, I'll get stuck in the past and getting stuck in the past, I think is also what reinforces those behaviors. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I also think that there's a natural grieving process for a time when you were doing things that really weren't healthy, but that was all you knew how to do at the time. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a tension between that feeling of uh, grief that you uh, lost that time in a sense. Obviously, there was all sorts of other positive things going on at the time. You were building yourself in other ways. But in a sense, you know, it was, um, it was, it was uh, a time that kind of uh, slipped away. But there's a tension between that and the... Uh, incredible positivity that comes from from get, finding a way out. Very and, true. And uh, I, I felt I felt both of them, and um, I, I can still tap into it just now. You talking about that, um, but I think um, I'm I'm grateful that I found my way out, and I'm also grateful that I only ever got addicted to cigarettes and food and you know you know had maybe habitual um problems with other things but you know i never tried heroin for example you know mm -hmm. or opiates or anything so every cloud has a silver lining mm -hmm. oh um, for sure i i have members of my family that i've watched destroy their lives and the lives of people around them with alcohol um mm -hmm. Addiction is a part of my family on so many levels. Yeah, I think uh, mine is somewhat similar. Um, something I wanted to ask is that someone's uh, face changes a lot when they change size. 
in a profound way. Has that been a, an adjustment for you, having kind of quite a different face? Mm. Um, faith, right? No, face. Face. Oh, yeah. my face. Yeah, like um, people talk about there being a, an adjustment after, you know, facial surgery or something like that. I wondered if that had, if that had been a thing for you. Mm. Uh, um, I don't recognize myself a lot when I see pictures that I don't take. If I take the picture, you know, I have the sense memory of taking it, I think. Um, but I've had the experience recently. I went to um, an event, KetoCon, um, here in the States and a keto convention. And uh, there were some publicity photos from an event I went to there. And as I'm flipping through them, I was looking for myself. And I realized the first sweep through, I was like, I'm not in any of these pictures. And I'm like, but they sent me these pictures because they say I'm in these pictures. So I had to go back through and like find where I was. Like, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect there, like with who I am now. But honestly, there are many days that I look at my face and it looks exactly the same to me as it did before. Um, it's one of those things I struggle with. That's interesting. So sometimes it's, you don't even think about it. You just recognize you as you. And then other times it's like a completely different person. Completely. And, and that's why, like, I really, I really get into things like on Twitter and Instagram, like face to face Friday and transformation Tuesday and throwback Thursday and those hashtag games, because it's when I put those comparison pictures together that I get for myself, the enormity of what I've done. I get a perspective on it that I'm like, wow, like, because my, when I was heavier, my neck, like, right when I, in 2017, my neck was 27 inches. Um, like, that's a waist measurement for some thin men. Um, and that's clearly not my, my neck now. Um, so it's just, it's, it's an intense thing for me when I do the comparisons is when I can really see it and when I almost don't recognize myself more. Um, Every day, I think you just get used to seeing yourself. So for me, I don't necessarily have that disconnect. I think because too, weight loss is gradual um, as much as it can be quick at times. Um, so again, it's, it's more now I'm starting to realize that this is my new face, not that it, it's not in my head, oh my goodness, I look so different. But I, like today, um, I had to go pay, I had to go to my landlord uh, to pay my rent for the month. And as I was going in, the person coming out was a delivery person for FedEx, for FedEx. And there's someone that comes to our office all the time, but I don't work up front anymore. I'm in the back. So I don't see the person. I probably haven't seen them face to face in over a year, year and a half. And they had no idea who I was at all. They walked past me, no idea. And I stopped them and I said who I was and he freaked out. Like, you know, he had no, he didn't recognize me at all. So Whereas as much as I sometimes don't see the changes, you know, I have that happen a lot with people that I haven't seen in a year, two years. Um, I, I host pub trivia several nights a week as a side job. And I had a team that one of the, some of the teams were associated with a local university and they were all graduate students who had gone on to other jobs. And they came back together this summer kind of for a mini reunion and decided to come to trivia. So they haven't been to trivia in two years. So they came in and halfway through the game, one of the women comes over to me and she says, 
we didn't realize who you were at first. We thought it was a new host. Until you started talking, we had no idea it was you. Like until they heard my voice, they didn't have any idea that it was me still. Um, so then they were like, you need to come over and talk to us and tell us what happened. And um, I have those experiences that happen a lot. And I think that helps, that, that kind of bolsters me a little bit when I have those moments where I ha you get inside your own head and you think, oh, I feel bloated today. I feel this today. I feel that today. Um, I'm up two pounds on the scale because I eat too much salt. You know, all of those, those things still play mind games with you. Um, but putting those in the, the context of other experiences helps. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense to me personally. I think some people who have had, um, you know, uh, problems with addiction, you get in, you get stuck in a cycle of um, sort of uh, hyper self awareness and uh, maybe a little bit of shame if you if you fall off the wagon or whatever. And you can get uh, you can't maybe sometimes can't see past the nose in your face. And I think. It's it goes. It seems to go as a trait with these types of people that they they forget how far they've come, and mm. so it can be so useful to take um, a look at where you were a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, and say, "Wow, I've actually achieved so much." Mm. That's interesting that you you've been using the, the hashtags as a way to sort of generate that for yourself, which I think sounds super healthy. Um, was there a common theme running through the, the foods that you would eat when you were binging? Um, honestly, not really. Like I would have moments where I was a gourmet foodie, you know, a gourmet binger and I'm making, you know, um, elaborate, I I've taken cook, I've taken cooking classes. So I would make elaborate French sauces and chicken in a wine reduction and, you know, with scalloped potatoes and like all different cuisines. And I, I love, I have a lamb curry recipe that has 19 different spices in it that you grind together in a mortar and pestle. And I would make that and binge on that as much as I would go and get a pizza or go to McDonald's. Um, the convenience food, I think, dominated in a lot of ways. I was more cooking one big meal a day and then it filling everything else in with convenience food. Um, I, I was severely addicted to McDonald's. I had a severe addiction to Big Macs at McDonald's specifically. Um, almost to the point that if they didn't, because I would order them a specific way, you know, with no pickles and extra sauce every time and extra cheese. And if they would screw it up, I would go back in, you know, and complain until my order was correct. Um, I also became a regular at a local pizzeria um, near my house where, um, I, I knew every Wednesday night after trivia, it was a, probably be around like 11 p.m. I could go and they would close at 11.30. And I would go at around 11, 11.15. And for the price of one slice of pizza, they would basically fill up a box for me with whatever they had left. Um, so I was just known as the guy because I was going there so often that it wasn't a big deal for them to give me some free stuff because I was going to come in and order a large pizza probably the next day. Um, so I had my regular foods, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, and pizza. Um, but then it could be a day where I really wanted Indian or a day that I really wanted Asian food or I wanted to go to a nice steakhouse or I wanted to get myself, you know, a two-pound porterhouse steak and make six baked potatoes. And um, 
like I loved making mashed potatoes by the five pound bag. Um, I, I mean, one of my, one of my all time largest binges was a Thanksgiving that I had to work, um, which the meal over here for Thanksgiving traditionally is a turkey dinner with side dishes and desserts. And I made a 10 pound turkey and about eight side dishes, two pies and homemade bread all for myself. And I ate it all in one night. Um, that was the kind of eating that I did. Like I would make a, a full pan of lasagna and eat that for dinner. Like, um, I think sometimes you talk to people like, or you watch television shows that have very large people on them and they talk about, Oh, I don't eat that much. I really don't eat that much. I ate that much. <laughs> um, I, I would, my regular order at McDonald's and this was just my go-to, not a meal, but like my after work order, uh, was four big Macs, a 20 piece chicken nugget, two large fries, two apple pies, and a soda. Um, and that was my go-to every time I went to McDonald's. Sometimes it'd be more, rarely less. Um, I was listening to someone on a podcast the other day who talked about Taco Bell drive through And they were like, I would go to Taco Bell and spend $20. And I laughed because I'm like, if I spent $20 at Taco Bell, that was a light run. For me, it was $40. Um, and it's funny because the host actually then said that. He's like, $20, you know, that's not really that much of a binge. Um, but just, and that's one of the things like now, like I source, like now I, I try to source, like I work with, I buy my meat from local farmers or from grass fed meat sources and um, things along those lines. And people ask me how I afford it. And I'm like, well, I'm not spending $150 a week on fast food anymore. So my food budget is actually less, even though I'm eating higher quality food, um, which is hard for some people to understand. But I, like I said, I lived by my, my impulses and I was not afraid. I would scour the sale flyers every week from the paper um, to find out where, which stores had my favorite candies on sale so I could stock up on bags and bags of peanut butter M&Ms and Reese's Cups. Those were my two favorite candies. Um, you know, chips that I liked. I drank soda, regular Coca-Cola, like it was going out of style. Um, I would probably, I would say that I average um, at three to four liters a day of regular soda. Um, so even just when I first cut soda out, the sheer amount of weight that dropped from my body from that amount of sugar going in every day and that amount of sodium, you know, all of that going in every day um, obviously had a drastic effect, but I was severely addicted. So that's even why now um, when people ask why I don't drink diet soda and things along those lines, like there's so many, you know, people that say one thing about sweeteners and another thing about whatever. Um, for me, diet soda is just a gateway to regular soda again. Um, I know that regular soda, and I know that having a regular soda is something that will trigger me hard in other areas. So I just keep that out of my life. Like I keep that out. Like I get the question a lot, like, so will you'll never eat a piece of cake again? You'll never eat a piece of cake again in your life? Um, I say no. There will probably be a day where I'll find a piece of cake that seems worth it to me. I'm sure that'll happen. But I have to get up every morning and say to myself, you're not eating cake today. Because that's how I get through the day. Um, so I, I think um, it's about how we react to different things. And um, for me, it was heavy carbs, heavy fat. Like I, I it, it's funny because when some people go onto a ketogenic diet 
and they're upping their fat ratio, it's a weird thing to them to be scooping, you know, a couple tablespoons of butter into a dish or something along those lines. That was never weird to me because I would, when I would make breakfast on a Saturday morning for myself and create toast and home fried potatoes and all those things, I was using two sticks of butter in the meal that I was just eating for myself right then. So that fat wasn't new to me. It's just the fact that I was putting all of that fat on top of carbohydrates, um, you know, and eating a dozen pieces of toast and a full pound of bacon and a dozen of eggs. Like the volume was incredible, but also the carb volume was incredible. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you talk about diet, Coke and stuff like that. And for some people it's a, it's a binge trigger and for other people it's a bridge and it can change so that at first it's a bridge and then it's a binge trigger. I wonder because you know, a lamb curry in and of itself could be very keto. If you made it with ghee, um, then it's perfect keto food. So do you find yourself ever tempted to binge on something like that now? Um, Does that even make no. sense to you now? Yeah, not f food like that. No, because the thing that was more driving, I think, the binge then was the um, eight cups of rice that I was making to go with it, that I was soaking in butter. Um, I can now. I can have a smaller portion of a protein now, or even a very flavorful protein and not feel triggered. Um, if I go over on cheese, like if I don't watch how much cheese I'm eating, I can very easily binge on cheese and be triggered to binge more on cheese. Um, that's something that I watch in terms of like my dairy intake, uh, because I know that for me, uh, you know, I've theorized that maybe I'm sensitive to the lactose or something along those lines, something in the dairy. Um, tr can trigger me at times. Um, but now it's, it's almost like I find a challenge in trying to fit the way I'm eating and make some of those dishes, you know, make flavorful dishes, explore other cuisines, um, find things that can have a lot of depth of flavor, but don't necessarily have to provide the same um, sensation as I got before from the food. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, my my theory which i can't back up with anything is that um evolution would be a bit silly if it didn't make milk addictive to mammals you know if you're a blind effectively kind of stupid little baby then yep. what are you going to do if you're not powerfully addicted to your mother's milk oh yeah um, so i feel like uh there's enough similarities in mammal milk, that if we didn't find cow's milk addictive on some level, then there'd be something strange going on. And I've got to be very careful with that too. It also gives me some skin problems. I think if it didn't give me some skin problems and it impacted my, my vanity, then I would probably, I would probably eat a lot more things like uh, cheese. The, cheese also gives me migraines, but um, I had lactose-free milk recently and I found it to be absolutely delicious, but I, over the over the two days that I drank it, I actually saw the weight going on. It was uh, really interesting. Um, do you, you've obviously lived in the, the eastern seaboard and the western seaboard of America. Have you noticed a difference in uh, food culture between the two? Um. Well, I, I, I when I lived on on the west coast, I, I lived near Los Angeles, mm -hmm. which Hollywood and you know a lot of a lot of pressure to look a certain way. When you're 500 pounds in Los Angeles, there aren't a lot of people paying attention to you. Um, so I think there's more of a body culture there. Um, I think the East Coast tends to be more of like 
part of your stock. Um, people per se, I think the food here is more comfort food. Um, but I think it's right now, I think it's ubiquitous in America. Like I, I think we're a fast food culture where it's just being crammed down your throat 24 hours a day. Um, the messaging that you should get access to it. And, you know, people now would rather, I think if you were to have a discussion about, you know, East Coast versus West Coast cuisine, instead of talking about the variations in the development of, you know, Italian American food across the country as, you know, immigrants move West, people would talk about which burger joint has the best burger. Is it In-N-Out on the West Coast or is it, um, you know, McDonald's on the East Coast or whoever, you know, five guys on the East Coast. Like we argue more about, even I at that point, like when I moved to California, I made it a goal to find good pizza. I could never find good pizza. I only found it at one location in California. Like, so I think the food culture is, you know, no matter where you go, it's about that hyper palatable food that just is meant to drive you to eat more and not about nourishing your body at all. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've, I've been to America a couple of times and that's kind of what I've found too. You have to sort of root out the, the, the good stuff mm. and probably pay a bit more for it too. Oh yeah. How would you say your, your mental health has changed over the time that you've lost the weight? Um, I, I, I think I've gotten a lot stronger this time around. Like I, in a lot of ways, I've gotten a lot stronger. Like I, well, one, the medical emergency I talked about um, in late 2017, early 2018, where I had to go to the hospital. Um, that was my first time going to a doctor, I think, in 28 years. Um, I was terrified. I, I literally waited to the point that I could barely move to call my family and say I needed to go to the hospital. Um, when the doctor checked me in and put me on an oxygen monitor, um, they said that if I had waited four more hours, I'd be dead. Um, my lungs were completely filled with pneumonia bacteria. Um, like when, you, when an x-ray of your lungs is taken, it should look like two black pillows is how that x-ray should look. Uh, mine looked like two white pillows with thin black lines on top. Um, I was getting barely any oxygen into my body. They said, they theorized that probably for at least 24 hours, I was probably damaging my organs um, by the level of oxygen that I was you know, not getting. So I went from never having gone to a doctor in years to um, being in a hospital bed for 17 days, um, poked, prodded, shot up with steroids that made me hallucinate that aliens were coming to get me. Um, yeah, the, it was the very first time I'd ever been put on, on a steroid. And the doctor said, you might have some weird dreams. <laughs> that first night, I kept throwing the blankets off and the nurses kept having to come back in my room and put the blankets on. And I would tell them the aliens were coming to get me and I needed to be ready to go. Um, like I was woken up one morning in the hospital by a nurse saying, they're coming to take you to do an EKG right now. The doctor thinks you're having a heart attack. She had read the chart wrong. The doctor had written the note saying that I had previously had a heart attack. He wanted another EKG done just to get a good picture of my heart. So I'm down. So now this was six o'clock in the morning. I was woken up to go for an EKG. I'm panicking. My blood pressure is through the roof. Um, there's a lot of other dirty details about how well I could or could not control different parts of my body at that point. Um, and I'm down having this EKG done and the woman finished this and I'm like, am I okay? And she goes, well, what do you mean? I go, they told me that I'm having a heart attack right now. And she goes, you're not having a heart attack right now. 
She's like, everything looks pretty good. She goes, there's some, some things the doctor's going to want to look at. She goes, but I don't see, there's no distress going on right now with your heart. They just wanted to get, she goes, the order is to just get a clearer picture of what's going on because they couldn't figure out why they had treated the infection and why my lungs still weren't working properly. Right. Um, basically what happened was I ended up with some severe inflammation in my lungs. They call it, they say that your, your lung tissue becomes hepatic. Um, so instead of the consistency of cotton, which is what your lungs should be like, my lungs were more like the liver tissue, like thick, meaty tissue swollen at that point. So they needed to treat that. I was bedridden for another month after that. So I had to face those fears. And that was a turning point for me. Like one, I knew at that point, because the doctor's point blank told me that if I hadn't already lost 100 pounds, I probably wouldn't have survived. Um, I knew that I was doing the right thing. And it solidified for me that I was on the right pathway. Um, but it also showed me that I can face things. So the next time I faced a round of cravings or something along those lines, like I, I, I felt stronger putting my foot down. I'm, I'm also more willing to try to explore where the cravings are coming from. Like I look at what did I eat for the past 24 hours? Like what did I put in my body? Was there something in there I didn't think about? Did I take in a little too much cheese? Did I do X, Y, and Z? Or is this real physical hunger? Like I had that happen this, uh, two weeks ago, a week or so ago. Um, I just had this day where I was ravenously hungry. And so I started to build up in my head that this was my addiction rearing its head. And this was a fight I needed to get ready for. So I prepared myself like I want, I, I told my coach we needed a call. I called him and we're talking and he says, I need you to take a deep breath and listen to me. He's like, you're just hungry. <laughs> He's like, I know this is weird for you to think about, but not every moment of hunger has to be about this dragon you're slaying. We've been reducing your calories. You're now about 300 calories down from where you were a month and a half ago. You're hungry. You're trying to lose weight. Let's put that in perspective and let's talk about how you deal with that and what that means. And maybe are you eating some foods that would not, aren't as satiating as you could be, you know, X, Y, and Z. He's like, but don't try to make this about having to, you know, get on a horse and charge a castle every time you're hungry. Like realize that as a human being who's losing weight and who's especially at the point where I'm at in my journey, I've been dieting for most, you know, consistently for almost three years now. Um, you're going to have those points where you're just, you're hungry. It's okay. It doesn't mean I'm depriving myself. It doesn't mean I'm killing myself. It doesn't mean that I've got an addiction trying to take over. It doesn't mean that I'm going to fail. It just means that I'm hungry. Um, and for me, because I lived so long, never letting myself get hungry, it's a new experience learning what that means, learning how that means, because it's new to me. Yeah, sure. And I guess compared to some of the other conclusions you would draw when you were overweight, like resigning yourself to early death, this kind of realization is a joy. And I hope that, um, that you keep making those you know turning turning the the positive steps you've taken for yourself into um maybe moments of anxiety that turn into uh positive positive realizations that you can then keep carrying with you and making you stronger i think uh, it's an amazing change that you've gone through and i really appreciate you uh, talking about it all Definitely. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about it. Like it's, I find it something that helps me the more I talk about it. Um, 
it gives me new insights. And even I'm sure after this conversation, I'll sit down with myself and be like, wow, you hadn't really thought about that before. You hadn't really, you know, thought about X, Y, and Z angles. Like there's, we're, we're complex beings and, you know, there doesn't have to be just one roadmap I've realized for what I'm doing. Like I can, I can still be going into uncharted waters and, and learning more about everything that I do. So I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to have that moment of discovery with you. You're very welcome. Um, you're looking great and I hope that continues. Thank and, you. Um, all that remains, I suppose, is for you to tell people where they can find you. Sure. Um, well, I, I can be found, like I primarily, I would say that I live mostly on Instagram. Um, on Instagram, I'm gourmet underscore goes underscore keto on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, uh, which is where we connected. Um, I'm gourmet goes keto, no underscores or anything on Twitter. Um, and I've also recently, um, about two months ago now, launched a podcast of my own called the Fat Guy Forum, where I focus on bringing the stories of men um, facing weight loss struggles um, forward. So I've been having some fun with that. So, and I've had, a, I've done a couple episodes there that dive deep into different facets of my story, you know, to be able to give them some more time. Cool. All right. Nice one. Well, all that will go in the show notes so people can find you. Um, thanks again, man. Definitely. Thank you, man. You have a great day. I appreciate it. Cheers. You too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please don't forget to jump over to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and review to get the podcast in front of more eyes. This podcast is made possible thanks to paleocanteen.co.uk, which is my company. That's paleocanteen.co.uk. Thanks, and see you next time.